Hi, I'm Rebecca, and you're listening to Drink Port, a podcast from Starboard, a port wine for the American dinner party. We're building a port wine for our table, and you're invited to pull up a seat. This podcast is designed to uncork a conversation about port wine, and it is my hope that it will inspire you to drink port. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone, especially an American, more passionate about port wine than Roy Hirsch. He's practically dedicated his life to learning about this unique fortified wine and is actively sharing it with others through his robust writing career and the launch of his very successful wine tourism business, Portuguese Wine Tours. Just how devoted is he to port wine? He relocated from the States from his home in Seattle to live in Porto, Portugal full-time. He's tasted nearly 15,000 bottles of port wine over the last 40 years and even named his daughter Taylor after one of the founding port houses. In this special two-part episode, I catch up with him to learn more about his background, what inspired his interest in port wine, and of course, see what he has to say about Americans and our relationship with port through the years. So tell me, Roy, my favorite icebreaker question. If you could invite one guest, living or dead, to a dinner party, who would you choose? My choice would be Bartholomew Broadbent. Great choice. He lives in Virginia. In 1994, I had been working for Marriott Corporation, and they divided the company into two. It was the first American company to do so. And I decided that instead of taking the promotion I was offered, because I had worked for them for a bunch of years at that point, I wound up writing to Bartholomew, knowing his reputation in the U.S. He was working for Premier Port Wines at the time. And his father was a very famous uh, wine writer, started Christie's Wine Auctions, the first wine auctions in the world. And Bartholomew had moved from the UK to the US to start up the importership for the Symington family. So I wrote to him and asked him for some help in planning my trip to Portugal. And he was extremely helpful. And without him, my trip would never have been anywhere near as good. And the contacts that he helped me with in Portugal were life-changing. I love that. I've actually connected with him over Instagram, believe it or not, the power of social media. So you're known as one of the leading port experts, really, I would argue in the world. Tell me more about your journey into port wine. So from moving from Seattle to Porto and ultimately launching this port wine tourism business or wine tourism business, and even naming your daughter Taylor after one of the founding port houses, what inspired you to get into port? I had started actually 40 years ago in the world of port. I was working in a restaurant in New York City, and we were at the time, this was 1983, we had on tap in one of the very earliest Kuvenet systems in the USA at a restaurant called The Water Club in Manhattan. We had a 1963 Sandman by the glass. And 40 years ago, that wasn't something that was very common, certainly not before. 
Uh, every time the psalm opened the bottle, he would call me in to help with the decanting, and then basically I'd get to take a sip just to see how it was, and that was my very earliest board experience, and I fell in love with it from the pretty much the first time I ever tried it. Uh, Sandman 63 was a great board to begin with, but I started trying others as well and started to collect a couple of years later. It wasn't until 94 that I actually got to go to Portugal. 11 years later, I had saved, finally saved up enough money to be able to get to Portugal. And I spent three weeks with my girlfriend. We first went to Lisbon, then went up to Porto, spent a week in Porto, and then in the Duro another week. So it was... For me, the trip of a lifetime took me long enough to get over to Europe. I was 37 at the time, 26, when I was first drinking the ports, and immediately came back and started writing about port. I had been reading, at that point I probably had read over 20 books on port, and at this point it's 60 to 70 books that I've read on port. And in 2003, based on my writing about port wine, I wound up being inducted into the Port Wine Brotherhood. And I was the second American that year in 2003 that had been brought into the Brotherhood and started writing full-time, quit my day job. Well, it's pretty niche. I can't imagine there were many port wine writers covering the category. Even now, it's very rare to even find coverage about port wine. It's not a very popular topic in terms of writing, but there's probably a half dozen people who really focus on port. You lead a tourism business, which you launched in 2005, I believe. What would you tell someone who is totally new to the category and perhaps even intimidated to try it? How do you get them on board with port? What's the selling point and how should they experience it? There's a lot of people say, I don't like port. I don't like sweet wines. I don't drink dessert wines until they try one. And I have found so many people who when it comes to tours or whatever, pretty much said, you know, I don't want to drink port. And then I watched them try it. And most people say, yeah, that's really great. I didn't know I liked port. I didn't think I liked sweet wine. This is really good. And it's not as sweet as I thought it was going to be. So I think it appeals to many more people than are aware of their propensity to enjoy dessert wine. The U.S. really came into focus in the mid-1990s. Cigar Aficionado magazine became popular. And at that time, so around 96, 97, when the 1994 vintage first became extremely popular in the United States, I give full credit to Cigar Aficionado for changing the mindset. It was also a boom time in terms of the financial world, both the advertising industry in the United States, uh, Wall Street was going bonkers. Um, it was a good time for port to get really set in the U.S. And for the first time in history, vintage port and port in general was purchased in larger volume than in the U.K., 
over the last 25, 30 years, it's really changed. And now I wouldn't say it's a mainstay or mainstream, but you find restaurants all over the U.S. that have it on their dessert wine lists. Port is really come a long way. It's not just paired with dessert. Um, I also have friends who will drink it with sushi and think that it makes white port in particular, that it makes a pairing. And there are drier styles, dry whites. There are what's called medium sweet and medium dry. So there are many different categories of ports for people to try. You had mentioned about my daughter and I never answered your question. You named her Taylor after Taylor's port, correct? She was born in 2002. Actually, it's her 21st birthday today. So she's going to be having a great night, finally legal and able to drink her wine. Amazing. Does she enjoy port? I feel like she has to. She started drinking port at a very young age, sipping port, I should say, not even drinking it. But when I left the U.S. and moved here a couple of years ago, I wound up leaving her 40 cases of my port so that she had enough to drink pretty much the rest of her life or as long as she wants. So what does she think? I mean, she's 21, so that's Gen Z. What's her perception of port wine? Obviously, she's grown up around it with you, but what does she think? She likes it. She's tried mostly vintage ports. At two years and four months, she decanted by herself her very first bottle of port, standing on a little stool in our kitchen, in fact, at the end of my newsletters, there's a photo of her at 28 months old decanting a bottle that she was named for, which was Taylor 1970 Vintage Port. Oh, I love that. So getting back to Americans, and I know in our initial conversation, Roy, we had chatted about kind of the best entry-level port wine for Americans, and your answer was very different than the Portuguese answer. I've talked to port producers in Portugal who came up with very different answers. And you being an American living in Porto, what's your response to that? The best entry level for Americans? Yeah, I think in terms of value for money, because it's easy for a port geek or port snob, whatever, to look at port very differently than someone who's trying it for their first time. And I always try to get people started with not just basic ruby ports, but LBP, because vintage ports are somewhat expensive, comparatively, three times the cost. Your average LBV, let's say, is about $25. And today, vintage ports, when they're released, are about $75 on average in the United States. And can you explain, just break it down to, for listeners, LBV, late bottle vintage. So tell us a little bit more about that style. An LBV is kept in wood from four, five, or six years, depending on the producer. And some have recipes where it's always four years. Others decide, let the grapes speak for themselves and pick a name out of the sky, Pinto de Crosta. They decide, okay, this year, our LBV is going to sit in wood for four years. This year, six. Next year, Let's wait and see what it is, and maybe that one's fine. So I like that. Let the grapes do the deciding how much wood it needs. They sit in the wood 
the wood is neutral and gives no flavor, imparts a little bit of color, but not much else because they're neutral gas. And at that point, they're then bottled and wind up going in bottle if they're filtered, they're meant to be consumed immediately. If they're unfiltered, and most of the Portuguese ones are unfiltered, they wind up being able to have some sediment in the bottle, which requires decanting, but they age in bottle quite nicely. Even 20, 30 years is not uncommon for those that like that style and prefer to have more mature wines. The ports can age easily like a vintage port. Again, far more expensive, but they age. The LBVs at 20 years of age are incredible, but you can drink them at four, five, or six years of age as soon as they're bottled. Some companies let them bottle age for another four years, Smith Woodhouse, for example, and they will release them literally eight years after the harvest, four of which it's sat in wood, and then four years in bottle before it hits the marketplace. I love that kind of style because you're then getting something at the same exact price with eight years of, of total age, and they show differently, they're more complexity, but they're rubies in style. They're still ruby-colored garnet to a lighter pale red, depending on how much age they have to them. They're delicious. They have a lot of red fruits, purple plum type of essence, which I was drinking port right now. <laughs> Grab a bottle behind you, Roy. <laughs> and so... The LBVs offer great value and they can age. They can gain in complexity in bottle, which is a real bonus. But if you want to spend even less than 25, you can spend as little as 10 to $15, sometimes even less than 10 when they're on sale. And you can find a basic ruby. But nowadays, there are also white ports that are very popular. I strongly suggest people try those as well. Some people prefer them, um, as well as tawny port. So there's three different major categories, completely different in style. I know we mentioned when we first spoke, and I was asking you because you have experience, obviously, introducing Americans to the world of port wine over, you know, through tours and the Douro and whatnot. I asked about the American palate, what's most appealing port wine-wise? And you had mentioned Tawny's because of the bourbon connection. And as Americans, of course, our palate is so attuned to those kind of oaky you know, age and cask flavors. So are you still seeing like the popularity of Tawny's among Americans too? I'm just going to take a step back for a second. Yes, but I'm going to touch on what happened in the UK even first. So the UK was drinking just vintage ports for years and years. And Americans were getting into Tawny's. And when the British were coming over to the United States, they were introduced to Coyetas to some degree. They had them, obviously, in their own country. But the collectors in the United States, the people who were really getting more serious about port, moved into Tawny's and Coyetas, single harvest Tawny's. And so over time, America really started to move into the Tawny realm. There are port clubs that have sprung up all over the United States. 
And so it's become much more widespread. There is a lot more pork consumed in the US than at any point, except that moment in 94 was vintage. Now I think tawnies are much more popular. I'm not saying more popular than vintage, but more popular than they have ever been. In the last 15 years, there are more new port companies that have come on board than probably the last two centuries. So let's dive into that and unpack that a little bit more, because I know you had mentioned when you first moved to Porto, you know, Porto has become a world-class city to your point in the past few decades. It's become a really popular tourist destination. My in-laws were actually just there recently um, and had a great time. But what other influences aside from tourism are contributing to port wine's popularity, especially among Americans? None. (laughs) So it's tourism. You have to bring people over to try it. No, I'm kidding around. Tourism has grown. And I'm just going to touch on my tour title. Want to push my own agenda here, but I will mention them quickly. Go for it. In 2005, I started up a tour company and had a Portuguese partner who had worked for years in America as uh, basically the liaison between the Port Wine Institute, which is the IVDP nowadays, because they also regulate table wines as well as port. And so the two of us started out with two guests in 2005 during the fourth harvest. And now we generally have between 12 and 16 guests per tour. We never go with more than 16 because of the size of the ports we're able to accommodate our guests with and the number of ports they're going to drink in a week. And it is grown to the point where this year we had four private tours and four of our own tours. Five years ago, we were doing two and three tours a year. And it's even the rush during COVID to do tours. People were saying, as soon as this goes away, we're going to come to Portugal. We're dying to get out of the country. We've heard how great Portugal is, and we really want to see it. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be port. We also go to Madeira. We do uh, 13 of Portugal's 14 wine regions. We do table wine tours. We do island adventure tours where we go to the Azores and Madeira. And we let people create their own tours. But our essence has always been Duro and port, and still is. Both of us are in the brotherhood. Both of us have begun our love of Portuguese wines with port. We've been to the Douro countless times. I personally have had somewhere close to 15,000 bottles of port in my lifetime, not drinking all of it, but tasting from 15,000 bottles. Port is something that as long as I live, I mean, Coming from Seattle, I had made 54 trips from Seattle to Porto and back, so 10,000 round-trip miles. And eventually I got tired of it and just said, it's easier if I move to Portugal and do the tours from there. It just makes much more sense than going back and forth. So I love it here in Portugal. The tourism factor has grown exponentially in the last decade from about 20... It was still sleepy, and we had been doing tours for several years at that point. 2019, it maxed 
I mean, it really it hit an all-time high, and then COVID came. Since then, in 21, when things started to loosen up and air travel from the U.S. enabled people to fly here, there were a good amount of people that came over. A lot of Americans moved here that year. It had gone up to 2,800 people moved here from America, I should say, family. In 2022, it was all the way up to 20,000, a huge jump. So pop popularity in Portugal and tourism for the first time ever in the history of America and Portugal, American tourists came here in larger numbers for the first time ever than in Italy or France. It's been number one and number two destinations back and forth for 40 years of record keeping. And Portugal in 2022, for the first time ever, blew both of them off the map in Europe. I love that. It's helping Port Wines cause. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more from my conversation with Roy in this special two-part episode. In the second part, we dive into Port's potential to become a mainstream wine in the United States. I fact-check my mother-in-law after her trip to the Duro Valley, and we get into what makes Port so special. Thanks for listening to Drink Port, a podcast from Starboard. Interested in being featured? Visit starboardwine.com backslash podcast to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter so you can join the venture to a new port. Cheers and drink port.